0: This is the Impact Church Podcast. Here at Impact, we believe a powerful word at the right time can help you overcome any challenges you are facing. Wherever you are listening or whatever you're going through, we pray this message speaks exactly to your need. Enjoy. Regardless if we like the story, we're there for the story, stones still tell a story. You can go around the corner and you can go to a place called Stone Mountain, and on Stone Mountain, there's a carving that tells a story. You can go down to Mount Rushmore out of state and you can see another carving that tells another story. You can go to Washington, D.C. and see the King Memorial and that's made out of stone, too, and that still tells a story, because sometimes There's a story behind the stone. Even right now, people use or subscribe to things called birth stones, stones that tell a story about supposedly about what it means to be born in December, what it means to be born in June, because in many people's minds, those stones still tell a story. And at the end of our lives, when everything is said and done, we have a tombstone to tell the story that we were here. Sometimes stones can tell a story. And, and you may think that, well, you know, that's cool, but uh, I'm not David, and I'm not Abraham, and, and I'm not Peter, and I'm not Paul, which would have preached at that temple after the days of Jesus. I'm not any of those people. I don't have stones. I don't, I'm not a David that got five smooth stones. I don't have a stone. And, and I want you to understand this morning that if you don't have a stone, touch yourself and say, tag, you're it. Because what First Peter says is that you also, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He says, if you're in the kingdom, he says, you are the stone that I'm building. You are the stone that I've chosen. You are the stone that is precious to me, rejected by men, but precious to you. You are the stone. Now, He is the chief cornerstone, but you are part of the building of which God is building. You're one of the stones in his building. And so what that lets me know is that everybody, everybody has a, every stone has a story. It's not just Daniel in the lion's den. It's not just Moses at the Red Sea. It's not just Jesus multiplying the bread and fish. But every stone has a story, which is why they say you should never Judge, because you don't know my story. You don't know what I've gone through. You don't know the streets I've walked and the night, the the, the sleep that I missed overnight and the battles that I've fought. You don't know my story. You don't know your neighbor's story because behind the stone, there is a story. Somebody sent me something. I said, oh, this just made the message this week. It was fascinating, actually. It was something that, had, that they have over in Denmark right now. And it's called the human library. You say, well, what in the world is a human library? The human library is where you don't rent books for a period of time, you rent people. Mm-hmm. And when you rent the people, You take them and just listen to their story. And each book has a title. The title might say on one book, unemployed. On another book, it might say refugee. Another book might say bipolar. But you got to sit and listen to their story. Which reminds us not to judge a book. By its cover. You need to stop and listen to their story. And I, that made me think about us because I, I believe that each of us, whether we ever verbalize or not, and even whether or not we're fully conscious of it, I believe that if we really thought about our lives, Somewhere along the line we have something that we feel defines us, something that we feel uh, clarifies what we're about or what our life has been about so far, whether we like it or not. And and sometimes those titles aren't cool, they're not kind, they're not nice, they don't bring hope, they don't bring the sense of that I can make it, but sometimes the stories may may say something like unlovable. Maybe whenever something good is coming your way, you feel like it can't really happen for you. Or maybe you feel like, oh, something bad's coming because, see, underneath your story, there's, some, there's a title that says unworthy. So I'm not really worthy of anything good happening to me. I'm not really worthy of being loved. Or maybe the title just simply says forsaken. Forsaken. That when I look back over my life, it looks like the people that I gave myself to didn't give themselves back to me, and they left me high and dry. And so sometimes we can feel discouraged about our story. You can celebrate with other folks. You look at other people, and you look at the things that God is doing in their life, and you see how God is raising them up, and you celebrate with them, but inside you're weeping about your story. You can shout with your sister when she gets married and and she's a bride, but look like you're always going to be a bridesmaid. We can be discouraged about our own story. But I got good news for you this morning. After going to the Holy Land, I can tell you that God is at work in your story. I don't care how many times you've been knocked down, how many times you've been left, how long you've been rejected. I need you to understand that God is active and he's alive and he's working in your story. Even when you can't feel it, even when you can't see it, even when you shifted and went the wrong way, God is still at work in your story. I want to pick up Joshua chapter 4. From a text that we looked at before, we're going to look at it again, and I want to see if I can take us further in it. Joshua 4, 4 through 7 says this. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder. According to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. That this may be a sign among you, when your children ask in the time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed over the Jordan. The rivers of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be a memorial to the children of Israel. Forever. Then, jo- then J- uh, Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. You can put up the picture of the Jordan. Now we saw a lot, yet I couldn't find one that I wasn't in, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You know what we go on? Some, when we go away, we always get pictures. I'm like you know what we're not in any of the pictures. So this time, I said, I'm gonna be in every picture. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so it was interesting being there. Uh, I think I saw more water there than I've seen in the United States in my life. Literally, I mean, we saw every sea. It seemed like there was the, there was the Mediterranean Sea that crosses the north, and you had the so they had the med. They called the Med Sea, the Red Sea, and the Dead Sea. And then you have, in all those seas, people don't have any clues. People say, what's the biggest thing that surprised you? How beautiful it was over there. How, uh, palm trees, tropical, just surprising, right? But, but what was also interesting is that all the uh, water that was there, because they had resorts on, every water that I mentioned had resorts. You know, people would come from Europe and other places to vacation there, but except for the Jordan River. The Jordan River is not pretty at all. The Jordan River is pretty, pretty dirty, And, um, of course, when we went to the Jordan River, they told the story of how John baptized Jesus in the Jordan. And the father spoke and said, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him as the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. But when you rewind the tape and you go further back into the Old Testament and you realize that Joshua was picking up the mantle of his leader who had recently gone on to glory, Moses. And God says in Joshua 1 to to Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. You arise. You get up. You're going to take this people to the land that I promised to your ancestors. And and so Joshua is facing a really daunting task. It's it's not like just, you know, leading uh, a small group of people. It's leading a nation uh, further out of the desert and into, supposedly, into their promised land. But he's got to figure out how to get them there because Joshua chapter 3 tells us that when Joshua is getting ready to take the, the children of Israel into, uh, across into the promised land, he's got to get across the Jordan. But in Joshua 3.15, it tells us that it was the time of essentially the flood season and that the waters were overflowing the banks. And so when you look behind me, I was pretty surprised when I saw that. I said, that's the Jordan River? Where's the rest of it? Because I expected it's big body; it's long, but it's narrow. Fun fact, though: if you can you see across to the other side, yeah. that's the country of Jordan on the other side of the river. Wow. And so, we're, so Joshua now has got to take the people across, not what you see there, but across a, an enlarged version of what you see. Does that make sense? Yeah. Where not only is it a wider thing, but it's also deeper, and. Um, that's pretty much an impossibility he's facing, right? And so I don't know about y'all, but have you ever been in a situation where, where you, you're doing what you need to do or you're doing what you're supposed to do, but you get to a place that you hit an obstacle, you hit a roadblock, you hit something that says, if you will, an impossibility, something that you cannot get through. It, it, it's, 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 a, it's a mountain that you can't climb, you can't tunnel through, it's a river, that you just can't walk around, that you hit a place that you say, I can't go another further. And that can be pretty discouraging. And, and so what he does, though, that I find to be really interesting is he, he, the Bible tells us, the Scripture we read just tells us that he calls for the priests, and the priests bring the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, how many of y'all heard that expression before, the Ark of the Covenant? I'm not talking about the lost, the Raiders of the Lost Ark either. I know y'all don't see him. Uh-huh. But, but he gets the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is a physical representation of God's presence amongst his people. And so he says, get the Ark of the Covenant and put the Ark of the Covenant out into the Jordan River. And as the, the, the Ark of the Covenant out in the Jordan River, what happens? The waters begin to recede. They begin to open up. And as they open up, Israel's able to cross over on dry ground. Now, that's a miracle. It, not even mud, but what? Dry ground, right? And here's what I need you to understand. That it wasn't until God was invited into their story that things began to change. There's some things in your life that won't shift, they won't move, they won't break, they won't open, they won't stop until you invite God into your story. And and so what I recognize is that once you invite God into your story, things begin to change. They begin to change. You gotta invite him into your story I don't have a lot of time but if I did I'd go back and say it was when David invited when David invited God into his battle against Goliath that's when things begin to change for Israel you got to invite God into your story I, I would go back and I would tell you about how the three Hebrew boys invited God they said we know that our God is able even if you throw us in God is able to deliver us, it's when you invite God into your story that things change. But I think we think that inviting God into our story means, only means, coming down to the altar and giving our heart to Christ. But I want to encourage you this morning that inviting God into your story is not a one and done. You've got to continually invite God in your story because there's things that watch that we do, whether aware, sometimes we're aware of them, sometimes we're not aware of them. There's things that we do that actually communicate to God to exit our story. I got this. You you, you stand here, Jesus. Everything is under control. So it's not that God himself removes himself from our story is that oftentimes we don't give him permission to work in our story. Which means that when I pray, I need to invite God afresh into my story. It's not enough. It wasn't enough for Joshua to say, hey, you know what, back... Forty years ago, we, had a, we faced something very similar. It was the body of water. It was the Red Sea. And, and Moses, you know, he, he used his rod and opened up. Yeah, but he couldn't rely on Moses' testimony. Because, see, for Moses, he used the rod. For Joshua, it was the ark. And so you got to know God for yourself and invite it into your story yourself, not just one and done, but continually. See, let me tell you what that looks like. It looks like this. Lord, let them accept my college application. Jesus. Hello? I got accepted? What? Next chapter, I'm in school, but I left him in the last chapter. I don't acknowledge him while I'm in school. I'm not praying for his guidance while I'm in school. I'm not seeking his face while I'm in school. And I think that he's guiding me still because he got me in with the trick is you got to invite him in your story. don't leave him in the last chapter oh God bless me with a husband Jesus bless me with a husband Jesus then he blesses you with a husband it took prayer to get the husband it may take prayer to keep the husband humble to keep the husband employed to keep the husband active it takes prayer not just to get there but to stay there Wherever there is in your story is not enough to pray to get. you got to pray to stay. So the trick is God helped me to invite you continually. And let me tell you what, that's what prayer does. That's what prayer does. It makes you stop and say, wait a minute, I don't have enough on my own. So you got to recognize that when you approach a situation, you're always in over your head. You're always facing a Jordan. Always fa- and so I think it's our own confidence in ourselves, and I'm concluding myself. I think we become so self-confident that we become less God-reliant. And so it takes the big things for us to really recognize what was true the whole time, that you need God for the big and for the little. We think that we have it. You know, it's this idea, even, even in relationships, we just kind of think like, you know, oh, I know what to do. Do you? <laughs> you really don't? And, and we start grabbing and nabbing from other people, and, but we don't stop to ask, well, did that work for them? Well, you know, that's how my daddy did. Well, what was the end of his story? But when you go to your heavenly father, and you do what Proverbs tells you, he says, to trust in the Lord with your heart, and lean not to your own understanding, but in all your ways, not some, but in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct thy path. God, my boss, get on my nerves. Acknowledge God. He'll show you how to deal with that boss. God, my children in acting right. Acknowledge God. He'll show you how to deal with that child's personality. It's this idea that, God, I need you. We, we sing songs, we talk about it, but, but I need you, God. I need you like I need the air that I breathe. It's, it's that sense of I am God-dependent. When you invite him into your story, you invite things to change in your story. Let me tell you how I know that. See, until you have a tombstone, your story's still being written. So it means that your story can change. And what the devil wants you to believe is that your story will never change. It's always going to be this way. You're always going to be the one that's broke. You're always going to be the one that's behind. You're always going to be the one that's overlooked. You're always going to be the one that feels left out. And guess what? The devil is a liar, and every word that he's spoken to you is a lie from the pit of hell. But what he wants you to do is to believe the lie so you make it a self-fulfilling prophecy. Preach. I'm trying. He has no power. He, has no, he doesn't control your destiny. Only thing he can do is take the power that we give him. So when you think it's the end of your story, because your story will always stay the same, when you think that way, what happens with the enemies is says, great, now I'm going to cause you to start making decisions that reflect that. Oh. And there something how we make decisions? And let me tell you two things that change in your story. Whenever somebody enters and exits your story, your story can change. New character can change the story. Some of y'all got some characters in your story that, well, we'll leave that alone. <laughs> mm. I know y'all have some pictures come to your mind. Two things that change our story, the people that enter and exit and the decisions that we make. But when you start off from a place of hopelessness, you accept anybody into your story. Folks that don't need to be there. And then you start making hopeless decisions because you don't see that you have a future. Are you with me this morning? Are you following me? So it's not that the enemy is actually uh, taking away your future. He gets us to agree with him. And, get, and resign our future to Him and resign our peace to Him and resign our hope to Him. But I know a God that can change a story. And see, what I found out a long time ago is the best stories always have a change in the middle. The best stories always have a plot twist in the middle. The best stories are not always predictable. And what I can tell you about you is that I have not seen, ears, he not heard the things that God has prepared for them that love Him. he got a plot twist coming your way. He's got a miracle coming your way. He's got a change coming Away. They already told you. hold on a little while longer Woo. Mm. Woo. Mm. Do you remember the last time you thought that your story couldn't change? Anybody ever been there before? And you look back and say, wow, look what God has done. So now the waters open up, Israel crosses over. While the water is still there, Joshua says, cool. Now he doesn't, let me go back. He says, I want 12 men, one for each of the tribes. Give me one man from every tribe to represent their tribe. And he sends them back into the same place it just came out from, crossing the Jordan River. And it's interesting that he, he uses 12 men to go out and each of them to gather one stone. And they're bigger than the ones that I have here, by the way. And I thought it was interesting that he didn't call for the priests. He didn't call for the Levites. He didn't call for uh, the, the teachers. He called for ordinary men because Every man, every ordinary man still has a story. You don't need a title to have a story. Come on, somebody. You don't need a position. Everybody got a story. He says, go get a stone. He says, go set it up. Bring it, grab a stone from the middle, put it, put it out on the side. He said, because we're going to have a little church service tonight on the, on, the new, on the other side in Gilgal. And they set it up, and they talk about it that night. And the next morning, he hasn't taken the same stones. And put them back in the middle. And I thought that was interesting that he hasn't set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan. And he says, he says what I need you to understand is that your story, watch this, helps you to remember what God has done. And you say, well, how do you get that? He says, because I want them to set it up as a memorial. In other words, what you just went through, I don't want you to forget it that last difficulty, the thing you thought you wasn't going to make it through, the thing you thought that was the end of the road for you, that situation you felt like it was completely hopeless. He says, I don't want you to forget about it. He says, but I want you actually to remember. I want you to get stones so that you can remember it. Because what I realize is that Watching the children of Israel, watching even the Jews today is one thing they do an amazing job at is telling their story. Because what I found out is that your story, we in the worst time of your life, can bring hope into your life. But you gotta remember what God has done. See, I, I think sometimes we suffer from what I call spiritual amnesia. That's where we fail to trust God today because we forgot what he did yesterday. I can't even see what God is working in my story right now. I can't see how he's going to work in my story right now because I forgot what he did yesterday. What is the last thing God has brought you through? What is the situation, the last, not the generic one, but what's the situation in your life where he made a way out of no way? What's that time that you thought that you were so far from anything changing but God turned that thing around in your life? How quick we are to forget when we face a new trouble, how God delivers us out of the last one. And that's why he told them, Simba. Remember. Yeah, there's another version coming out. You ought to know that? All right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I'm sorry, I relapsed, sorry. So Joshua tells them to put the stones back in the middle. And how the story concludes is that the miracle is over. The children of Israel on the other side. The warden is going to come back over those stones. So why would you take stones that have a symbol of something you should remember and put them back in the middle of the Jordan River? Only for the water to cover them again. You see, Joshua anticipated something. Just like in that time they were in the flood season, he knew that there would be times of drought ahead where it wouldn't be enough water. And he knew that in those times the water would recede. And that when the water receded, their children would see the stones. And he says, so when your children ask you what those stones mean, you got a testimony. When your children go through difficult times, you got a story you can tell. When you can't see your way, you got something you can lean on. And I don't know about y'all, but you may not be facing a literal drought, but sometimes in your life you go through a spiritual drought. Anybody ever been in a spiritual drought? And other times you might go through a relational drought. On emotional drop, where you just don't feel like you have enough on the inside of you, but but you got to go back and look at the stones of the other time that God brought you through. You got to look at the stones of the difficult time, the situations that God caused you to go over, and what those stones tell you is this: You ready? That if He did it before, He can do it again. If he moved a belt before, he can move it again. If he parted the red seat for you in 2018, he can part it for you in 2022. If he healed your body in 2020, he can heal your body in 2022. If he touched his spouse in 1979, he can touch them now in 2022. Whatever he did once, God has enabled God. He can do it again now. That's the power of a story. That's the power. And you know you got it good. You know it's really good in you when you hold on to that story when you have nothing else. And you hold on to that testimony when you have nothing else. We went to the the whaling wall, and you can put that picture up, and y'all can come on up. I'm about done. And um, I said, what am I supposed to be doing? Is that me again, Lord Jesus? <laughs> and I sent the pictures. I am like, okay, well, there you have it. I was there, right? Yeah, I should have just put it in the cement. I was here. But anyway. <laughs> so the wailing wall is, is interesting. Um, so I didn't even know what to expect. We got there and um, walked up to it. the men are separated on different sections. The women, it's like a divider. They put the women on the other side. And you see um, rabbis and others um, praying. You see uh, regular Jewish boys and what have you praying, and the girls on the girls' side. You saw them taking out scrolls. It was quite interesting, handwritten scrolls. And you could tell the books were extremely old, like hundreds of years, what it looked like and opening them and closing them. It was like ceremonies, it was really interesting. And um, I didn't know until then that the reason why it's called the Wailing Wall. The reason why it's called the Wailing Wall is because of the the lament from the destruction of the temple. Remember I told you the temple was a central part of Jewish life? Mm -hmm. You've heard the expressions, the inner court, the outer court, and the holies of holies, right? That was where they met God at. You see, we, we look at the Scripture as a New Testament believer who has the Holy Spirit. We have God with us. But what if the only way you could meet God was to go to the temple? But the temple was destroyed. And um, not only was it destroyed, Jesus told them it was going to be destroyed. You might remember Matthew 24, and they say, well, Lord, what's going to be the sign of your coming? And he's standing outside on the Mount of Olives looking over. And so you get it when she actually been there. He's looking over and said, not one stone should be left upon another. Talking about the temple. It was only about 40 years after he he was crucified that the temple was completely destroyed by the Romans. Which means the temple has been down for 2,000 years. And so they don't have any other place to meet God. That's the closest they can get to to where the Holies of Holies was. And so they're lamenting, and they're also praying. Because the temple that was built, there was two temples built. One was built and destroyed by the 500s before Christ, and then the next one was built just prior to Jesus' arrival on earth in 70 A.D. was destroyed. But here's what they know, that even though the temple has been destroyed, the same God that allowed them to build it before Can do it again now. So not only are they lamenting because they don't have access to God's presence or to the temple, they're also lamenting in prayer because they believe that the temple will be rebuilt. And and what I need you to understand is that no matter how long you've been waiting, don't give up. God's going to do what he promised he's going to do. And no matter what's blocking your way, the reason, I'll share this last thing and then I'm done. The reason why they can't build a temple, y'all want to know why they can't build it? Because you're like, just get some bricks and build it already, right? The reason I can't build the temple is on the other side of that wall where the temple used to be is a Muslim mosque. And if they try to build it, you're talking about World War III. But how many of y'all know God is working through history and governments? And The scriptures tell us that they will rebuild the temple. And they're looking at building it in the same place. What I can tell you is Jesus is coming. You know how I can tell you that? Because they prophesied the first time. And if he came the first time, he's going to come again. You're living in a day and age where prophecy is being fulfilled. It is being fulfilled I, I wasn't going here, but, you know, Jesus told them that Jerusalem will be trodden under the foot of men. This is the gospel of Luke. Until the days of the Gentiles are fulfilled. What he's saying essentially is, y'all ain't going to have power over Jerusalem again. You, until I get finished bringing all of them in that don't look like you and don't aren't part of your tribe, you're not going to have. But when the Gentile season is over, he said, then you'll have Jerusalem back. Well, they got that back in 1967. Look at your neighbor and say, he's coming. And the Jews will tell you it was a miracle, the six-day war was a miracle. And I want you to understand that your story is part of a bigger story that God is working in humanity. And he's guaranteed to bring all of it to a wonderful conclusion. You don't have to worry about nothing because if you can serve a God that can hold all of that together, how much more can he hold your story together? How much more can he hold your life together? and your marriage together and your business together and your mind together and your body together, God can hold it all together because he's still sovereign and he's in control. He allows what goes on to happen only to a certain point, but he knows the plan that he has. He knows the future that he holds. You don't have to be discouraged. You don't have to be depressed because your hope is not in what you see. Your hope is in who you don't see, knowing that he's working on your behalf. Stand on your feet this morning. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. I want to pray this morning. Two things I want to pray for you that are here. Because you might think it's the end of the story. And I'm going to tell you, all you got to do is invite God into it. I was thinking after last Sunday, because I didn't realize it last Sunday, how I thought it was the end of my story in 1997 on the first Sunday in October when I quit this job. How am I still here then? (laughs) I was so burned out and so tired, and I'm not a quitter. I tell folks all the time, the the one time I remember quitting was when I was probably eight years old, and I quit the football team, but that was best for them and for me. (laughs) That's a true story. But, um, But I was tired, and so the enemy will make you think you're at the end of your story. Until some folks show me that I wasn't. I was just at the end of a chapter, not of a story. But when you invite God into that spot, wherever that is for you, things begin to change. Things begin to change. And so I want to pray for you this morning that may be at one of those places this morning. And then if you're here this morning and you been outside of the kingdom, all I can tell you is you're missing it. You haven't even begun living yet. Because what he wants to give you is so less about what's out there and so much more about what he can do on the inside of you and the joy that can overflow in your life and the peace that only he can give that you can't find in a bottle, in a pillow, or in a person. But the peace in knowing that no matter where you are, he's with you. And that he's keeping you and he knows how to protect you and he's providing for you. And most importantly, that you are forgiven and that you are loved and that you have eternal uh, security in Christ Jesus. Your salvation is sure. It's not based on what you do. It's based on what he's done. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads this morning and, and you that might be here that don't know the Lord is Savior, you've not asked him to come into your life or maybe you've strayed. I want to give you the opportunity to make a commitment to Jesus this morning. He's able and he's willing, he's waiting for you Father thank you for those under the sound of my voice Lord the breath in their lungs and the beating of their heart still shows that you you still have a purpose for their life thank you Lord that others have completed their journey but we're still here because you have something still for us So, Father, for the one that doesn't know you in the pardon of their sins, we're praying salvation. We're praying, God, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. As we turn towards you, knowing that you have open arms ready to receive us. Now, would you have bowed?